I'm going to begin here reading the text. Uh, I'll let you sit this evening. It's a little longer, but I do ask you to listen as we read God's Word. We're in chapter 18 of Genesis, so we've been making our way. We started in Genesis 12. We're studying Abraham, and now we're into 18 in verses uh, 16 through 33. I'll read this to you. This is the Word of the Lord. I will frame it uh, last week. Um, uh, the Lord, uh, and then two angels came and met uh, with Abraham and Sarai, or Sarah, and they promised the son Isaac uh, would be born. And now these men are making a transition from being with Abraham towards the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And so that's where we are contextually. Verse 16 uh, starts. Then the men set out from there, and they looked down towards Sodom. And Abraham went with them to set them on their way. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me, and if not, I will know. So the men turned from there and went toward Sodom. But Abraham stood still before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are fifty righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for fifty righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be, it from you, far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom fifty righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. Suppose five of the fifty righteous are lacking. That would be forty-five. Will you destroy the whole place for lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if there be forty-five there. And he spoke to him and said, Suppose forty are there. He answered, For the sake of forty, I will not do it. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Suppose thirty are found there. And he answered, I will not do it if I find thirty there. And he said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose twenty are found there. And he answered, For the sake of twenty, I will not destroy it. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again but this once. Suppose ten are found there. He answered, For the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham. And Abraham returned to his place. This is the word of the Lord. What an interesting passage. It's going to help us. Uh, we've been talking about faith and how we live by faith. And this passage helps us. Uh, there's a lot of interesting twists and turns in this. Um, it's going to help us understand our role. We'll see Abraham's role, but it will apply to us our role in the world as God's people. Uh, what role do we have? How do we engage? How do we live before others? How do we live before others? 
And as we do that, we'll have to know something about the nature and character of God because Abraham's going to push on that and push on that and push on that. And as he's doing that, he's learning what God is like. And if we're to play this role in the world, we're going to need to know what God is like. And just give you up front, the role Abraham's playing is it's a priestly role. The priest, uh, the, the prophet generally takes the word from God and he speaks it to the people. Woe is you, or he speaks a warning, or he speaks judgment. He takes God's word to the people. The priest primarily takes the people to God. He takes the needs of the people, the struggle of the people, and he offers sacrifices to God. He offers prayer. He intercedes before God. He's a bridge between God and man. Uh, going both directions, but primarily taking the people before the Lord. That's what the priest does. So we'll learn, as we learn of Abraham's role, how that relates to us as the church. So I want you to, 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 to work with me here on this understanding of the priestly role. The first thing I want us to see is um, the invitation to priestly prayer. Abraham is invited in by the Lord, to engage him. Um, it's an interesting passage because it's really a prayer about Abraham talking to God, and, it's, and he's asking more, and the Lord's responding. He's asking, he's responding. A lot more of this is happening than just prayer, but it's a prayer. It's a conversation between Abraham and God. But I, wanna, uh, I want to... Um, I want to put out there that, that God is really baiting him to pray. Did you see how, how, how it went? He's... He's, he's with these two other men, and Abraham is with them, the text says, in verse 17. And the Lord says, um, shall I let Abraham know what we're doing? Abraham's right here beside him. I mean, he's going to be the, 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 the head of a mighty nation, um, and that nation is to be righteous and to be just and to bless the world. You think we should fill Abraham in? He, the Lord is sort of asking Abraham to step up and play a role among the city of Sodom. See in verse 17. What will Abraham do? We also see that he's inviting him to this priestly prayer role because it says that the angels went away. And so now the, the Lord has let the angels be dismissed to Sodom. And now it's just the Lord and Abraham, 101. You, you know that, uh, that conversation you have with your, uh, maybe if, you're, if you have kids and you and your uh, spouse need to talk. And you're like, kids, leave the room. Right? This is an important meeting. We need you. We're going to clear the room. This is serious talk. We're going to have a conversation. Or, or maybe you're at the office and you're having a, a staff meeting and then the executive says, hey, we need everybody out. This is a, a top-level meeting. That's what's going on here. Um, the Lord uh, lets the, the angels move out. They go down. And the Lord, in the form of a man here, is face-to-face with Abraham, bidding him inviting him into this role. Will he step into that role on behalf um, of the righteous of Sodom? One more supporting in this invitation. In verse 21, the Lord says, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. There's a sense of it's contingent. Maybe it's contingent. And I think as you read the commentaries, there's this sense of like, the Lord is inviting Abraham to a discussion, to a dialogue, to prayer. He's inviting him to be a part. 
to step in to discussion. And maybe through a man's interaction with God, maybe God will do something different than it seems he has planned to do to Sodom and Gomorrah. The, the whole interaction as we'll move through it is kind of like a little training exercise. Um, Abraham's going to be this great figure, lead this, the people, um, this mighty nation. Um, and the Lord's training him and teaching him and going to give him step-by-step opportunities to step in and to play this role. It's a priestly role. It's a role where you take the needs um, of the people and you see what's before you. And as God's people, and here as Abraham, step into it and to offer those pleas and intercession on behalf of the Lord. Um, excuse me, on behalf of the people to the Lord. Um, as he's trained, he will have a lot of opportunities to lead this nation. And so he has to learn what it means to be a priest, what it means to intercede. In verse 23, we see that he takes the invitation and he begins to pray. Listen to what it says. Then Abraham drew near to the Lord. It, that drew near, uh, your text may say approached. It's a, it's a technical term. It's a legal term. It's the Lord's cleared the room. He's got everybody away. It's one-on-one, and it's a technical legal term. It says he approached. It's as if the, uh, the attorney uh, approaches the judge. May I approach the bench? And so he comes forward, Abraham now. They're all by themselves, and he comes before the Lord himself with these petitions. He's being drawn in. What's he going to do when he comes before the Lord? What's he going to do before he comes before the judge of all the earth? When he stands before the bench, what's he going to do? Is he going to intercede? Is he going to plead? Is he going to demonstrate compassion for the people and argue for them? That's what the Lord is inviting him to be. Will you fulfill the role? And this is where, we're not Abraham, but this is where Abraham connects to us. Because what does the New Testament call us? Do you know in 1 Peter? The believers, it calls us a what? A royal priesthood. We're, we're kingly, we're royal, but we're priests. All of us are priests. Revelation says we are a kingdom of priests. Which meant it wasn't just the priest in the official role to take people to God. It's actually the body, the church, us. We are called to take others before the Lord. Did you know that? We take others, we take one another in our needs, and we go before and we pray, and we take each other to the Lord. But here, he's even engaging Sodom, who many of her are wicked, right? And he's taking the wicked before the Lord. And in our role in the world... As believers, um, we have some, some people in our workplaces, in our schools, uh, in our neighborhoods, the only priests they will know is you, you know? And then you think, well, I'm not, certainly not a priest, there's no collar here, you know, there's no, there's no, uh, there's no formal, I didn't do divinity school or, or whatever it may be, I know there's different traditions involved, but the only priests they will know is the priesthood of all believers. That's the priest that God has given you the Spirit to intercede for them, to step up and to engage them, to take them in prayer and interaction to the Lord. Do we take others to the Lord? 
Do you intercede? Sometimes we'll talk about intercessory prayer. Have you heard that term? This is what we're talking about. Do we see the needs around us and we just say, man, the world's terrible. Can you believe it? Or, my coworker's like this. I can't, you know. Or do we take them and say, oh, okay, I, I'm uh, a priest uh, and uh, is, is a believer in Christ. I've heard information. There's pain. There's difficulty. There's someone outside of Christ. And do I say, why don't I step between and take this person who may not know the Lord or this person who's in this difficult situation and take them to God? Because I begin to access. We're not one-on-one like Abraham in and the room is clear, but we have the Spirit in us that we take others to God. The first thing we see is the Lord's baiting him to this priestly prayer and he, Abraham steps in and he begins to pray as he dialogues. Second thing I want us to see is the nature of the priestly prayer. Uh, the basis, the reason he can come is because God invites him. Uh, but now I want to see what, what's the nature of the prayer. What's the nature of the content? How is he going to approach him? And, and this is some really, um, some really neat stuff as we talk about it. The fundamental basis uh, for praying, the fundamental basis for Abraham's boldness is the character of God. Abraham has already learned something about the character of God. And so he is going to talk to God in dialogue and he is going to be basing it on who God has revealed himself to be. Verse 25, that famous question, it's a rhetorical question. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is right? I'm going to plead with you, but I already know your character, your righteousness, your justice. So will you not be who you say you will be? Are you not the righteous judge of all the earth? It's the nature of his prayer. He pleads with God. He assumes the high moral character of God. It's not in question. It's not like, what are you like, God? It's like, I know what you're like. Are you going to be consistent to your nature? Throughout the prayer, throughout the conversation, Abraham remembers who he's talking to. There's the reverence. If you, if you have the text before you, he, he goes through those verses multiple times. He says, I, I am a, I've undertaken to speak to the Lord, but I'm just dust and ashes. He asks, oh, oh Lord, do not be angry. I, I may speak one more time. He says, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Four or five times he prefaces, I'm going to ask something really big and really bold, but, but I know that you are the Holy One. I know that you are righteous. I know you are altogether, altogether different than me, but I know your character is such that I'm actually going to come and ask and plead based on your character. And part of that character and part of the confidence of that character is that God is compassionate and he's merciful. And Abraham knows that, and so Abraham goes to him. Again, verse 23, Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you sweep then away the place and not spare it? For the righteous, for the 50 righteous who are in it. Um, that word spare, it, it, it can mean to lift up, lift someone's head. It can also mean to forgive. It's used in Exodus 34 where it says, The Lord, God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity to a thousand generations. Would you not, if there are 50 righteous, would you not spare, would you not forgive this place? 
He's asking him for his compassion and his mercy. And what's the Lord say? What's God's character like? What does he say? He says over and over, yes, I will. There's 50, I will. 45, yes. 40, yes. 30, yes. 20, yes. 10. Abraham's going to stop at 10. We'll talk about that in a second. But he says, yes, yeah, I will. I will. You're right. I'm just, um, but I'm compassionate. Uh, And this is where it gets really interesting because... um, there's a specific sort of principle involved. Abraham's praying, but he's really doing like really, really deep theology in the middle of this, this conversation. Um, Tim Keller, uh, I, I read a part of a sermon on, he did on this um, years ago, and it was really helpful here. And um, some of you know who that is, but he, he, uh, the last few weeks I've pushed on talking about Abraham and the kind of corporate nature of faith. We've had those conversations a little bit. Um, and he, he talks about how um, as, as Western, you know, individualists, um, we struggle with the idea of corporate responsibility. Um, we think if I didn't directly do it, or if I, if I didn't personally do something to someone, then I'm not uh, responsible, or I'm not connected, I'm not involved in some way. Um, so if it's not, uh, if it's, if it's, if it's not me, it, it doesn't matter if it's my father or my, my lineage or my race or my heritage, but there's no connection. It's, very, um, it's a very Western way of thinking about the world. In fact, most of the world doesn't think in those terms. They think in much more corporate terms, and the Bible thinks in those terms. And I'll give you a couple examples, one from the Bible and one outside the Bible. Hang in here with me. I think this will make sense to you. You remember the story of Achan and Joshua? The story of Achan. Achan, uh, they're going to de- de- defeat Jericho. They're going to march around the city and blow the trumpets and all that stuff. And then they, but they're told not to take away the stuff, right? Like defeat them. The Lord says, def- but don't take away all the treasure, the spoils. Um, but what happens? Achan does, right? Achan takes away treasures and he hides them. Does anybody know what happens to Achan? He's killed. And you're like, he's, okay, he lied before. But you know what else happens? His wife is killed, his kids are killed, his animals are killed, his whole family is killed because Achan, so Achan sinned, but everyone is killed in his family. Not only that, what happens to Israel? They go fight, fight the battle of Ai, you know what happens there? They lose, they get slaughtered, people die, many of them die. So one man, Achan, has now impacted his whole household and all of Israel. There is a connection. There is a corporate connection. This is moving towards how Abraham is praying. That's why I'm building this case. But there is a connection between them. Um, our denomination, uh, a few years ago, uh, did, a, did a resolution where the denomination confessed sins uh, of the past of our denomination or sins of racism. Uh, particularly during the civil rights era. And some of you know our particular denomination didn't start until the 70s. And the civil rights movement was primarily in the 60s. So we started in the 70s. Uh, Many of the churches were were there before then. But as a denomination, we weren't. And yet we're confessing something from the 60s. How does that work? We weren't there. We didn't do it. We didn't act, right? But we were a part of it, right? It's our lineage. It's our heritage, Many in our churches, many in our families, we're a part of that. We are, whether we like it or not, connected. Now, do we specifically do some of the things repent of? No. No, we didn't. This is really hard for Westerners. We don't like this idea at all. We're all like, no, not me. That's somebody else. 
And I'm not saying it's not individual relationship. There is, right? There is one-on-one, there's sin. But what I'm saying is that we are connected. We are, uh, there is representation. Inescapable. And so here, uh, we're demonstrating, Abraham is demonstrating the idea of uh, representation and association. And here, uh, and, and in my two examples, the, you know, the, the things that bad bad things have been done are connected to folks that may not have done those. There's a connection. Um, but Abraham's going to argue a little bit differently. He's not arguing uh, from um, a corporate understanding to an individualist understanding. Like, Lord, can we just deal with everyone in Sodom one-on-one? Like, let's just sit down. Like, how are you? Are you wicked? What about you? Let's don't do this big corporate 50, 100. Let's just deal with everybody on their own individual basis, and that's fair for everyone. That's just. He doesn't do that. He, he, but he argues uh, a, a corporate understanding. He switches from one corporate understanding to another corporate understanding. Uh, Achan, his, his wrong impacted everyone negatively, right? But what does he argue? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for 50 righteous who are in it? In other words, if, right, if wickedness can impact righteousness, how about righteousness can it impact wickedness? Can it work the other way around? The character of God. Does the righteous God love righteousness so much that he will let righteousness speak for wickedness? some good theology he's arguing based on God's character can the righteousness of someone else cover the unrighteousness of another you see where we're going with this see the Bible's woven together in Genesis 18 in this obscure passage there's angels, there's Lord, there's people there's 50 he's setting up a pattern where there, there might be one in the future there might be a righteous one that can speak for the unrighteous. It's theologically, it's, it's what we call substitutionary atonement. It's the basis of representative theology that, that someone can live vicariously for us. It's the nature of his prayer based on God's love of righteousness and justice. We'll get to this specifically here in the third point. So he's been invited to prayer, this priestly prayer. We've seen the nature. It's based on God's character, something about God. I want you to see Abraham's conclusion. There's some of the conclusions from this priestly prayer. Um, it, it's this, uh, you know, Abraham-God conversation, and it's this sort of learning um, it's this learning curve. As he's doing this theology, he's learning more and more about God. He's understanding more. The Lord's teaching him in this process. Why does he stop at 10? Why does he stop at 10? I think he stops at 10 for a couple reasons. One, Abraham begins to see uh, the depth of sin and the need for justice. Um, Will he spare them? Will he spare for 50? If there's 40, if there's 30? As he's going, he's realizing there's not a, whole lot of, not a whole lot of righteousness in Sodom. 
The sin of man is far deeper. Even as he's counting, he's realizing, I got a problem. <laughs> I'm going down, I got a problem. I'm not looking around, I'm not seeing a lot of righteousness. Sin in the heart of man is worse than he thought, than we thought. The Lord says that he was going to go down himself and check it out. He's heard it, he's heard about it. This is man language given to God. God's heard about what's gone down there and he wants to check it out because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave. And Abraham um, has been asked to step in with compassion. He's doing a good job. He's pleading for him. He's caring. He's compassionate like any priest should be, like we should be. But as he's going, there's also another side of compassion and it's the justice of God, right? And he's on this learning curve with Jesus and he's going, he's going, uh-oh, we're dealing with this right, righteous and just character. Outcries, the, the word outcry there, it speaks of injustice and oppression. It's a strong word for all the sin of Sodom, and we'll, talk, we'll get to that soon. Um, Ezekiel says part of the sin is they forsake the needy and the poor, that they oppress them, they abuse them. Think, you know, think slavery or think, you know, sex trafficking. Think oppressive, abusive control, domination, dehumanization. That's what's going on here in Sodom, among other things. He says the outcries have gone forth. And I think Abraham, as he's counting and he hears the Lord, needs to know about the justice and the wrath of God. Some people say, you know, you hear this, this is kind of a modern idea. I can't trust in a God who's wrathful, you know. How could I trust a God who would send people to hell or to demand, you know, be, be he's so harsh. You hear that, right? You may think that. You certainly hear that all the time. But the reality of it is there can't be, uh, there can't be mercy and love without justice and wrath, right? Right? I mean, if you love someone and they are mistreated and abused, you are going to see wrath and justice. When God's goodness and his world and his creation and the image of God in us is being abused and mistreated, it would only be God's goodness and love that he would respond with justice and wrath. Those two are inseparable. And Abraham, in this compassionate heart, is on a learning curve to learn the nature of God, that he is compassionate and merciful, but he is also just and righteous. He must bring wrath against the ungodly so one of the reasons he leaves abruptly i think abraham knows what god will do he knows that god will judge sodom and gomorrah second reason i think he stops uh, at 10 uh, i think he sees what god is teaching him is that it's in contrast to um, sodom is in contrast to what israel is to be um the, the, the couple of things, I didn't know this, are the commentaries say that the ten is sort of the smallest number that creates a community. Beyond ten, it's individuals. But ten is still some sense of like a community. It's a group. Um, and, and he stops there. And beyond ten, it's just individuals, like I mentioned earlier. So they sort of lost that collective. Um, and what has Abraham been called to do? Verse 18. Is he called to lead a bunch of individuals? He's called to lead a, a mighty nation, right? He says um, that his children and household after him would keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and doing justice. But in Sodom, there's no righteous community. 
There's no justice. There's no goodness. There's mistreatment. There's inhumane. There, there's no seeking to bless and to serve and to love. But Abraham is called to something different. You know, sometimes you know what something is by what something's not, right? You know by the contrast. You, you see the contrast. So God's walking with him down to Sodom. This is sort of picturing, and he's looking at the contrast. He's just given this huge charge. Should we talk about this in front of Abraham? I mean, he's going to be the father of a mighty nation. He's going to be righteous. He's got to be blessed. He's got to have justice. Yeah, okay. You, you guys leave. Let me talk to Abraham. <laughs> and he walks down. Abraham starts saying, but Lord, you can't. What if 50 and 40 and 30? And he's going on. He says, okay, I'll spare him for that. Sure. And he gets down to 10, and Abraham's looking around like, there's not a lot, of, there's not a lot here. What are you called to do, Abraham? You're called to lead a group. It's mighty. It's just. It's righteous. That's good. And that, that, that's where there's a connection for us as a church. Um, we're called together. The kingdom of priests. We're called out of the world together to go back and live into the world. But how are we to live? How are we to live into the world? Are we to live like the world? Are we to devour one another? Are we to misuse one another? Are we to slander one another? Gossip? dehumanize, mistreat, take advantage, manipulate. No, we're, it's an alternative community, right? It's a, it's a new people. God's constituting the church as a new humanity that we come together and we say, this is the way it's supposed, this is how God has called us to live. And we do it with one another and it's messy and we're not all that great at it, but we're learning and then we go out there to our neighbors and our coworkers and we say, there's a different way. Actually, we're just a kingdom of priests living in the world, serving together. This is a place, the church, where we learn righteousness and justice and goodness. Final reason that he stops at 10, uh, his conclusions. You know, why not go all the way to one? I think Abraham gets to the end of himself. Do you remember who else is in Sodom? Lot was there, remember? Lot was there, and he, that was his nephew. And he'd gone off and fought for Lot earlier. Um, but he's like, Lot's there. Lot's won, but Abraham's not real confident with Lot. You know, Lot hadn't had a great reputation. Lot's uh, got some poor judgment already. He's hanging out in Sodom. Uh, this is not a good thing. Um, a- Abraham, um, he, he knows his own calling, um, but he also knows his own heart. He knows he's not, he can't walk it himself. He isn't uh, sufficiently compassionate uh, and also just and righteous. We've already seen his sins in the last few chapters. So I treated his wife, right, down in Egypt. There's this sort of internal panic in Abraham. <laughs> he gets at 10, he's like, I don't know if we can go any further. Not looking too good. There's not a lot of prospects. Who's righteous? Who, who is sufficient to go before the judge of all the earth? Abraham named it. He's the judge of all the earth. Who's going to stand before him and serve as the priest? Who's going to plead on behalf of the people? The best case, the best shot they got is Abraham. And Abraham's looking around and like, I, I'm not enough. I'm not sufficient. It's an Old Testament longing and picture for us. It creates a, a foreshadowing. A type where we're looking 
and longing. The confidence is not in, uh, let's be like Abraham. Let's pray like Abraham. The confidence is in the God of Abraham. The God that will provide the one that can speak on behalf of the people. Not just to intercede, but Jesus will come. And what does the priest do? What does Jesus the high priest do? He doesn't offer the sacrifice for the people. He becomes the sacrifice for the people. The priest, the high priest, Jesus is the only one. Sufficiently righteous and just and good and yet merciful and compassionate, slow to anger. He is both all in one, the high priest who can sympathize with man in their weakness and yet is God himself and he intercedes and he comes to offer himself to plead his own blood on our behalf. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? There's no one righteous, it says. No, not one. Not Lot. Not the father of faith, Abraham. It's the high priest. It's Jesus. And so our confidence is that high priest has gone to the cross. He's pled our case before the judge based on his own blood and his own merit so that we now stand as he does, righteous, cleansed, priestly. And now we who have been washed, we get to take our, little, our neighbors and our coworkers and we get to plead on their behalf before the Father. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? We're empty and helpless, and yet the high priest saves us and sanctifies us so that we can do what he's doing, and that is taking people to God. May that be our journey together as a church. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for, uh, there's so much there talk about. Thank you that you invite us to pray and that as we pray, we know that you hear us in our prayers. Um, these words uh, are not mere words, but they actually uh, reach uh, the throne of grace and you hear us and you answer us. God, may we serve as, as that priesthood before the world. May we offer prayers on behalf of others, one another in this room, and those outside. God, may we do it based on your character, Lord. You have said this in Christ. This is so. We plead Christ's blood for us and for others. God, we thank you for the great high priest, for what he has done on our behalf. May we love him and worship him as he has done so much for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.